the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Fellow redeemed, the gospel for this day places us during Holy Week, that is likely on that Monday or Tuesday. And by this point, the people are sharply divided toward Jesus. You have some people who loved him, who hung on his words, who believed in him. And these groups likely included individuals like the tax collectors or prostitutes or other sinners. But then on the other hand, you had those who hated him, who despised his words, who refused to believe in him. And this group included individuals like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other religious leaders. In fact, it was individuals such as these that plotted how to trap Jesus, how to destroy him. One of those traps you heard a couple weeks ago, where the lawyer tested Jesus by asking him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And yet, before these traps, Jesus speaks three consecutive parables. The first is the parable of the two sons, the second, the parable of the tenants, and then the third is the parable of the wedding feast, which you just heard and is our focus for this day. Now, in the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus tells us that there is a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And desiring that all the people would celebrate with him, says he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. In this instance, we see the king's generosity. He wants people to come to the wedding feast and celebrate. Even when they reject his invitation, he calls them again. He wants people to attend this joyous event. But not only that, they wouldn't have to bring anything. Everything would be provided for them. And yet, despite multiple calls to come, despite everything being provided for them, our text says they would not come. They paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Into this, the king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Now, many of us have had the opportunity to organize a wedding, either our own or maybe we helped with somebody else's. And if there's anything that we've learned, it's that planning for a wedding takes time and energy, doesn't it? But not only that, when someone declines our invitation... We're disappointed. We're a little sad. We want them to join in our celebration. Yet, how many of us can say we've been angry when somebody declines our invitation? Maybe certainly not to the same extent as this king, 
Not only that, I want you to consider that when somebody of importance, like that of a king, invites you to a feast or banquet, you go. You don't reject it, and you certainly don't seize the man's servants, treat them shamefully, and kill them. Well, a lot of Jesus' words here leave us maybe a little surprised or even shocked. But it's here where Jesus would remind you that his words are that of a parable, a story that hides and reveals the truth about the kingdom of God. And the king in this parable is none other than God the Father. And the wedding feast that he gave? Well, it's the wedding feast of the bridegroom Christ to his beloved bride, the church. And through his sacrificial death on the cross, he has cleansed her of all of her sins. He has clothed her in the robe of his own righteousness. And so with everything ready, God the Father sends his servants to proclaim that everything is ready. The wedding feast is ready. Come to it. It is ready. Remember what Jesus says from the cross. He declares it is finished. That is, nothing is left undone. Jesus kept the law perfectly for you. He bore in his flesh your sin and the sin of the world. He drank the cup of the Father's wrath. He died the death that we deserve. There on the cross, everything is finished. And he proved it by rising from the dead three days later. And so it is that the invitation goes out. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Eat in faith on the delicious and wholesome meal of the gospel. That is, that which gives you forgiveness, life, and salvation. And yet, while everything is ready, while the gracious invitation goes out, there are a wide range of responses to it, isn't there? Not everyone receives our Lord's invitation with joy. The first group we hear paid no attention, went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Now, such individuals feel no particular anger toward Jesus. They simply don't care. They don't want to be bothered with the gospel. This has taken place down through the century and still takes place even today, and you've likely heard it. You, Christian, go ahead, go to church, but that stuff isn't for me. I have more important things to do on Sunday morning than go to church and then to listen to somebody preach to me. So, See neither the depth of their sin nor the forgiveness that Christ has won for them, they reject the Lord's invitation. The second group, on the other hand, isn't so polite as the first. It says they seized the king's servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. These individuals are more aggressive in the rejection of Jesus. Prior to Christ, they persecuted God's prophets, even killed them. They did the same thing to the apostles, and they're doing it today, persecuting those who rightly preach God's word. 
They become enraged when they're confronted with the truth of God's law. That their behavior is sinful and merits eternal death. But not only that, they become enraged when they're confronted with the truth of God's gospel. That those who participate in the wedding feast of the king's son can enjoy forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation. And so they persecute Christ and his church. Because like the previous group, they see neither the depth of their sin, nor do they realize of the uh, Realize the forgiveness that Christ has won for them on, his, on the cross. Yet those who reject the word of God, those who persecute, those who faithfully proclaim it, won't get away with it. Recall how the king sent in his troops to destroy the murderers, to burn their cities. While God doesn't desire the death of the sinner He does declare, vengeance is mine. I will repay. If God didn't withhold punishing his chosen people Israel time and time again throughout the Old Testament, and ultimately by destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD, neither will he withhold punishing those individuals, those nations that reject his gracious invitation and persecute his servants. And yet, despite the rejection, the invitation still goes out. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The king will have a wedding feast. The wedding hall will be filled. The food and drinks will be consumed. Our text says, The king said to his servants, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The fact that the servants gathered everyone they found and made no distinction is incredibly wonderful news For us sinners, who on account of sin deserve no good thing in this life, in the life to come. The good news is that the Lord desires all to be gathered into the wedding feast. All to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. All to eat and to drink of the same life-giving meal in faith. Yet it's at this point in the parable where Jesus makes one more distinction. He says, but when the king came in and looked at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. These are not the people who decline the invitation like the others. Those without the proper wedding garment are the false sons within the visible church on earth. Those who appear or claim to be a Christian, but they actually don't have faith in Jesus. Attending the divine service, they outwardly partake of the king's feast, receiving baptism, receiving absolution, eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood, but they don't really believe the promises that are given there. 
attending the divine service, they're not paying attention to God's word, but instead are daydreaming or thinking about worldly things that need their attention. And then leaving church, they immediately forget everything said, and they refuse to live a life of daily repentance. Ultimately, those without the wedding garment don't trust in Jesus' obedience. They don't trust in his suffering and death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. They trust in themselves. They don't hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Jesus, and neither do they desire to be clothed with it. Instead, they insist on the filthy garments of their own ways. They refuse to repent of their sins, and leave their sins behind them. Unfortunately, those who insist on their own garments, on their own works, are setting themselves up to be bound hand and foot and tossed into the outer darkness, where where the fire never dies, and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Though redeemed, Jesus would have each and every single one of you examine yourselves to consider why it is that you're here this day. It is possible to come to church and yet be a self-righteous hypocrite. That is to say one thing and to believe another. And while you can fool the world, maybe those around you and even yourself, you can't fool God. So it is that God would have you repent. Not just this day, but repent every day of your lives. To live a life of daily repentance. To shed your self-righteous garments by confessing your sins. Yes, I am by nature sinful and unclean. Yes, I have sinned against God in my thoughts, in my words, in my deeds. I cannot save myself. But have you repent and cling in faith to Christ. For there, in the depravity of your sin, you don't find a harsh ruler. You find a loving king who bids you to come to the wedding feast of his son. Do you see how everything is ready for you? How God desires for you to come to the wedding feast to eat and to drink and of his gracious gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation, and faith. God doesn't invite those people who have it all together. He invites the spiritually poor sinners who can't get rid of their sins and who are in need of the forgiveness that he alone gives in the feast. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast because the feast is for you. The triune God would have you rejoice this day and every day in the certainty of his invitation and your place at his table. Consider what took place in baptism. In that blessed flood of water and the word, you were clothed with the proper garment. You were clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness. Consider what takes place this day. 
every day that you receive the Lord's Supper. Here you receive the life-giving meal of Christ's body and his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Here you receive assurance that you're part of God's people. That is, you're part of his bride, the church. Here you receive the life-giving food so that the new man in you may confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior every day in what you say and in what you do. Fellow redeemed, everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The triune God doesn't charge you anything for it. It's free, and it's for you, and it's ready now. You don't have to wait until heaven. Through the blood of Christ, it is finished. All your debts are paid for. All your sins are removed. All your shame is forgotten in the death of Christ that he died for all. And in the resurrection that he rose on your behalf and opened to you the gates of heaven. And there's nothing left for you to do but to come and receive. Come to the wedding feast of the King's Son, for everything is ready now. God be praised. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.